Amen. Well, please take your Bibles, and if you'll turn with me at this time to the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter 2. I will be looking at verses 14 through 41, kind of a long passage, that's okay. Well, we're going to get through it just fine. Our message series is called Church on the Move. We are working our way through the first part of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 8. Uh, And so far, we've learned how we're supposed to be a church on the move with the gospel, right? And then we also have seen, especially last week, how God has empowered us through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Him and for Christ. And so, so now, you know, we, we pause for a minute and you go, okay, so we've learned that. So, so I've, I, have the, I have power through the Holy Spirit to witness. That's great. But what am I supposed to say? I mean, that's wonderful. I've got the Holy Spirit. He's going to give me power. But what am I supposed to say? And then after I say it, how do I know if people have responded in a way that brings them salvation? Of course, only God knows the heart, but we're going to see some very uh, clear teachings from our passage this morning as to what constitutes a believing response to the gospel message. That's the title of our, our sermon this morning is Message and Response. What is the gospel message? We'll look at that first. And then what does a believing response to the gospel look like? I will be looking at verses 14 through 41, but just to get started, I'm going to read, uh, we're going to peek ahead towards the end of the passage, verses 37 to 39. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Picking up in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Well, dear God, as we look at these words and and the verses before and a, a little after it, we pray, God, that you would indeed speak to us through your word by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, empower us, equip us to be the witnesses you have called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So just a quick recap from where we were last week. God had just poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost on all of the believers. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages, right, as as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, the Jews who traveled to Jerusalem from all, all the other countries, they're just amazed. It's like we, we, they're declaring the wonders of God, and we hear them in our own language. How can this be? What does this mean? Uh, and then there's always some in every crowd, right? Some of them made fun of them, uh, mocked them, said, oh, they're just drinking. Right? They've just been drinking early in the morning. So uh, that's where we've been. Now Peter stands up, and you know, they said, what does this mean? He's going to tell them what this means. Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd, and Luke records for us both Peter's message and the people's response, message and response. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out, follow along. Uh, It'll help you to follow the message. There's room there to jot down some notes as well. We begin by looking at the gospel message itself. And like any good preacher, okay, Peter's message comes where? Straight from the Bible. Straight from the Word of God, Uh, his message, we'll see, revolves around three Old Testament texts, one from the book of Joel, two from the book of Psalms. 
And you know, there are various ways to share the gospel with people. But there are certain things that we should always include. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, Peter begins with something we don't always include, okay, but perhaps we should, because he talks about the fulfillment of Scripture. And, you know, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know, you know here's the things of first importance, and he goes through it. One of the things he speaks in there is according to the Scriptures. You know, so maybe that's something we should bring up more often. He begins by proclaiming that these are the last days. But first, he's got to deal with this accusation, okay, that they're drunk, okay? So that's where he starts, So that's where we'll start, verses 14 to 16. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, so all twelve apostles now standing up together, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, right? They asked, what does this mean? Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Okay, that's pretty good defense, okay? <laughs> so he starts there. Notice how he, he, he jumps off of this accusation that they're drunk. He, he takes something from the current conversation, right? And he uses that to transition to the gospel. And the reason I want to point that out is because that's something you and I can do too, right? We can look for opportunities in our conversations with other people to turn the conversation to Jesus and the gospel. It's so easy. For example, uh, tomorrow morning at school or work, someone's probably going to say to you, so what did you do this weekend? Right? Easiest one in the world, folks. You can say, oh, Friday we did this, Saturday we did this, and then Sunday we went to church and uh, we worshiped God. We heard a message from the Bible about Jesus. It was awesome. You never know what that's going to open up, but you're turning the conversation to Jesus. Or perhaps someone's sharing with you, they're going through a hard time, they're going through a difficult situation, so you're listening and you're caring, and that's all well and good, but maybe you could say, say, you know what, you know, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, is it okay if I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you right now? I would love to pray for you. My God loves you, and He, he would love to help you. Turn the conversation to Jesus. In the gospel. It's so simple. When you're intentional about sharing the gospel, you are going to find all sorts of ways to bring Jesus into the conversation. Peter sees that opportunity here, and so he pivots off of this accusation of being drunk to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, no, we're not, it's not the spirits of wine, and this is the Holy Spirit, and to talk about what God is doing. Notice he raises his voice, because this is a big crowd. You're going to see how big it is soon, and maybe more are joining even as he's speaking. Luke says he addressed the crowd, the word for addressed, important word. This is not just a normal word for talking or having a conversation. Uh, This is a word often used in the Bible for spirit-inspired speech. Remember, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Boy, did the Holy Spirit ever give Peter these words to say. And basically, he tells them, this is that. This is that. These men aren't drunk. It's just nine in the morning. No. This is that. Look at verses 17 through 21. This is that which was spoken of in the Scriptures. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's he saying? This is that, right? This which they are seeing right now, the Spirit poured out, people speaking in tongues, this which they are seeing right now is that which Joel prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. Joel prophesied what would take place in the last days. And I know we often think about the last days as something in the future. Maybe we're in them now. We're not sure. But biblically, the Bible says the last days is what? It's the entire period. The whole period between Jesus' resurrection and return. These are the last days. And in Joel, God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Notice it is God who pours out the spirit. No one else. Only God pours out the Holy Spirit. This is going to be real important for Peter's argument uh, in his message a little bit later. You'll see how that works out. The word translated pour out here means a downpour, okay? Just a, a deluge. This shows the generosity of our great God. He holds nothing back. Notice that the Spirit is poured out on all people. All people irrespective of gender, both sons and daughters. Irrespective of age both young and old, irrespective of class, even on the servants. And so this was a new thing that God would do. In the Old Testament, God gave the Spirit. He poured out the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit was given to specific people at specific times for specific purposes. But in the last days, Joel says, the Spirit will be given to everyone who believes, to all who believe. Joel also spoke about these wonders and signs. It's kind of scary, the language, blood, fire, smoke, the sun darkened, the moon turning red. These are all signs of the final judgment, what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. Now, some of these signs took place, right? As Jesus experienced God's judgment on the cross, the sun was darkened, right? Some of these took place then. Uh, But the Scriptures tell us that the final day of judgment is yet to come. And yet there's still even words of comfort because even in the midst of these very frightening images and words, what does verse 21 say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it all comes down to. Will you call on the name of the Lord? So this is what Peter's hearers would have understood so far, right? The Spirit has been poured out just as Joel prophesied. That means the last days have begun. That means that judgment is coming. This is the part we sometimes leave out in our gospel presentations, but we can't. We have to talk about God's judgment for sin or Jesus' salvation won't make any sense to people. Judgment is coming. Our only hope to be saved is to call on the name of the Lord. Now, what God inspires Peter to do next is brilliant. Peter's going to teach them the name of the Lord. You know, you've got to call on the name of the Lord if you want to be saved. Well, you better know the name of the Lord. And they think God's name is Yahweh, right? That's what they learned from the Old Testament, and it is. That's God's name, Yahweh. But there's another name they need to know now. There's another name they need to know. They need to know that Jesus is Yahweh. They need to know that Jesus is Lord, and they must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. 
So how does Peter do this? He proceeds to show them that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Look at verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, Peter said, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What does Peter do here? He's basically reviewing Jesus' life, death, and resurrection with them, and especially emphasizing their part, okay, their responsibility in Jesus' death. He says, you should have known better, right? You know, God did all of these miracles through Jesus. You should have known who He was. You're responsible. You should have known He was the Messiah. And Peter speaks here of both divine sovereignty and human responsibility, right? He says, Jesus was handed over by God's set purpose and plan. This was God's plan all along. Nothing trumps God. There's God's sovereignty. But we're the ones who did it. We're the ones who put Him to death. In this way, God is sovereign, but we are still responsible. Peter says that God raised Him from the dead, freeing Him from the agony of death. And that word agony there, it's actually the word for birth pains. Birth pains. And so Peter's comparing Jesus' death there either to the agony of birth pains, okay, they hurt a lot, and, uh, or perhaps the idea that at the end of the pain, something new and beautiful happens, right? You know, the promise of new life through Christ's death. It says it was impossible for death to hold him, just as it's impossible when those labor pains come, when it's time for the baby to come. Baby's coming, folks, okay? Nothing's going to stop that baby. And it's the same thing. Uh, you know, Jesus' resurrection, it was impossible for death to hold him. And then he turns to his second text, right? He starts in the book of Joel. Now he turns to the book of Psalms. Look at verses 25 through 28. David said about him, and he quotes Psalm 16 here, I saw the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. These are the verses we read earlier in the service, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It's a Psalm of David. David is speaking with confidence in the face of death, and he's also speaking of bodily resurrection. Once again, Peter, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, now takes this Psalm of David, and he applies it directly to Jesus, directly to Jesus. Pick up in verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. He was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath uh, that God would place one of his descendants on his throne. And so seeing what was ahead, prophetically seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That's the word for Messiah, right? The resurrection of the Christ or the Messiah. That the Christ, the Messiah, was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. 
God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Peter says David couldn't have been talking about himself being in the grave and not suffering decay. Why? Because David's still in the grave, and trust me, his body suffered decay. No, David was speaking of his descendants, one of his descendants, the Messiah. Everybody knew that David was speaking of the Messiah here. And David was prophesying that God would raise the Messiah from the grave. That's how you'd know who he was. You look for the resurrection. And God would raise him not just at the end of time, but soon after his death, so soon that no decay would even take place. Peter says, that's what David said. And then he says, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He's standing there. The the 12 apostles, all witnesses to Christ's resurrection, they're all standing there. Peter speaking. says, we're all witnesses to this. We've all seen him. That's a pretty impressive group. That's not just one person. And so if God raised Jesus from the dead, that means Jesus really is the Messiah. His resurrection from the dead is all the evidence you need. So that's what Peter does first. He he shows them that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Next, he shows them that Jesus is Lord, equally important. Verses 33 to 36, Peter continues, exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. Remember, David didn't go, you know, wasn't raised from the grave. David didn't ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both Messiah and Lord. What Peter does here is brilliant. He used Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to prove that he is the Messiah. Now he uses Jesus' ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to show that he is Lord. And he does this by directing their attention to another psalm, another psalm of David. This one's Psalm 110, where David says that the Messiah is Lord. The Messiah is Lord. David didn't ascend to heaven. So who's who's this in the psalm? It's the Messiah. The Messiah ascends to heaven where he is called Lord. Peter's already shown that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah is Lord, do the math. Jesus is Lord. It's beautiful. And then Peter, uh, take this, go back to the Joel prophecy, okay? It's beautiful how this all ties together. Who poured out the Holy Spirit in the book of Joel? God did, right? Only God pours out the Holy Spirit. Who poured out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Jesus. Jesus was ascended to heaven. God gave Jesus the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours out the Spirit, which means Jesus is God, which means Jesus is Lord. And so then Peter draws the inescapable conclusion to all this. He says, therefore... Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, the ones who they've seen his resurrection, their witnesses. God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. The resurrection shows that Jesus is Messiah. The pouring out of the Spirit shows that he is Lord. And notice once again how Peter emphasizes their role 
in Christ's crucifixion. God made this Jesus whom you crucified. He reminds them of their part in this, both Lord and Christ. So Peter has faithfully delivered the gospel message, right? He's spoken of God's judgment for sin. He's spoken of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he's spoken about the fact that you need to call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord is Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We can do that, right? That's the gospel message. We all know how to do that. How do you share the gospel? There's a judgment for sin. You know, God promised that he would send a Savior. It's in the Scriptures. Jesus came. Tell them about Jesus' life and his death. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Just call on Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him, and you will be saved. We can faithfully deliver the gospel message as well. Peter has delivered the gospel message. Now we get to see what a believing response to the gospel looks like. Let's take a look at the people's response now. Verses 37 to 39. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So we're going to look at this in four parts now. Here we see that a believing response begins with conviction of sin. A believing response to the gospel begins with conviction of sin. The people are just cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. And they didn't believe Him. Not only that, but they crucified Him. Not only that, But the last days are here as evidenced by the giving of the Spirit, and that means judgment is coming. No wonder they cry out, what shall we do? What shall we do? We're lost. Let's bring it to today. Do you believe that Jesus is Messiah and Lord? Do you recognize that you also are responsible for Jesus' death? You say, well, I wasn't there. He died on the cross for your sins. He died for your sins and my sins. We are all responsible for Jesus' death. Because once you realize that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, according to the Scriptures, once you realize that Jesus is Lord, and once you realize that your sins put Him on the cross, then you also will be cut to the heart. A believing response to the gospel always begins with conviction of sin. No one comes to the Savior without first knowing that they need to be saved. Next, a believing response to the gospel will proceed to repentance and faith. You don't just sit there with, you know, what will I do? What will I do? I'm lost and just stay stuck there forever. Begins with the conviction of sin, proceeds to repentance and faith. And so when the people said, what do we do? Peter told them, he instructs them, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. Baptism, that's simply the sign that you've repented and believed. 
Just another way of saying what Joel said. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. They just need to understand the name of the Lord. In Joel, it means Jesus. Whoever calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith, they're they're two sides of the same coin. They always go together. True repentance is always a believing repentance. True faith is always a repentant faith. A believing response to the gospel, yes, begins with conviction of sin, but will always then proceed to repentance and faith. Thirdly, number three now, a believing response to the gospel receives, receives the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. Right? That's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you call on the name of the Lord to be saved, two things happen immediately. Your sins are all forgiven. All of them. All of them. Your slate is wiped clean. All of those things that you have felt so bad about for so long, your sins are forgiven. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, to live with you, to dwell with you, to make you a new person in Christ. And this promise is for everyone who believes, for all who believe, or as Peter puts it, for all whom the Lord our God will call, is the way Peter puts it. So once again, there's this mystery, isn't there, between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God is the one who calls to salvation. If God doesn't call, we don't get saved. There's all whom the Lord our God will call. God calls us to salvation. We respond to his call with repentance and faith, receiving forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. Believing response to the gospel begins with the conviction of sin, proceeds to repentance and faith, receives forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. Finally, number four, a believing response to the gospel results in baptism in the local church. Look at verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Peter warned them. He pleaded with them. And what was the result? Those who believed, those who accepted the message, were baptized. And the church grew by 3,000 people that day. When you believe in Jesus, you should also be baptized as a witness of your faith to the world. And you should also join a local church where you can grow in your faith and where you can help to grow God's church in this world. Just as a side note, we have a baptism class this afternoon. (laughs) And so if you've never been baptized and God's speaking to you, come out to the class, learn about baptism. And we're going to do baptisms later in the month. February is baptism month. March is new members month. We're going to have a new members class in March. If you've been attending this church for a while and you've never joined membership and God's speaking to your heart today, make that commitment today. I'm going to come to that class in March. I'm going to learn about what it means to be a member here, and I'm going to join membership with this church uh, in March. That's part of a believing response to the gospel. And this was a church on the move. I pray our church is a church on the move. I believe we are. But boy, this church in Acts... 
they just went from 120 believers, that's pretty good, to 3,120 believers. That's really good. That's amazing. That's multiplying by over 26 times in a single day. The church was growing by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Christ and the gospel. We can do that, folks. We can do that in our church today. This church can and will grow by the power of the Holy Spirit as we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. We just got to do it. We got to turn those conversations to Jesus. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit who's already empowered you to witness, and this church will grow too. The church growing and multiplying through the gospel and the Holy Spirit, this is a major theme we're going to see again and again throughout the book of Acts. You know, some people go to church, but they've never trusted Jesus. Some people have prayed a prayer but they didn't really mean it or perhaps understand it. Some people have trusted Jesus, they're saved, but they've never given witness to their faith through baptism and belonging to a church. Here in Acts chapter 2, God shows us what a true believing response to the gospel looks like. It begins with the conviction of sin. It proceeds to repentance and faith in Jesus. It receives the forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit and then gives witness to that faith through baptism and active membership in the local church. That's what a true believing response to the gospel looks like. So final question. What does your response to the gospel look like? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, your, Your word is just amazing. Lord, last week we learned how you poured out the Holy Spirit and gave us your spirit so we could be effective witnesses for you. And then we turn the page and the very next thing you tell us how to witness, what we should share, what is the gospel message, what do we tell people, how we can get into conversations with them, and then even how we can uh, look and, and see uh, have, they, have they believed in the gospel, what does a believing response look like. Amazing, God. Next week you show us what the church looks like. Uh, we love your word, Lord. But God, we pray that you would help us. We want to be witnesses for you. We want to be faithful in sharing the gospel. We want to see your church, not just this church, but your church, all churches, Lord, grow as people come in and are saved and and, uh, receive forgiveness in the Holy Spirit as they put their faith in Jesus. Lord, help us to be a church on the move with the gospel. We can only do it with your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.